What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the final episode of 2021 of the Mike and Dave Podcast. This is Dave, and you know what a year it's been. Mike, how are you feeling about this year? It's kind of crazy to think that we've we're on episode 18 now, and it'll be the first time that we enter a new year actually having a show and we'll be able to like start right off the bat with it as opposed to this year where, you know, we had to like spend a few months, like get it going and everything, but it's really cool. Um, we've, we've come a long way and we'll talk a a little bit at the end as a sort of wrap up, like where we've been, where we're going, but I think we're going to start off this episode with our third edition of off the top, relatively new segment. And if you've been keeping track, it is my turn to bring the prompt to the table. So, Dave, we're going to do baseball today. Which means I am not going to take a big part in the conversation. <laughs> this is kind of like a fun fact where it's like, I'm going to let I'm going to kick back and let you talk. Maybe I'll learn a thing or two. So, I kind of got this idea from you on the last episode. So how that one worked was you had me make an NBA team with half current players and half retired players or all-time greats. So we're going to do the same thing for baseball. Now, I have in this order, you got a starting pitcher, a relief pitcher, a catcher, first base, second base, third base, shortstop, left field, center field, right field, and then manager. So my rule is you can start with a current or I'm not going to time you. You can start with a current or an or a, an all-time great, but from there you have to go back and forth. So the next one would have to be the opposite and so on. Okay, cool. All right, so I'm going to start with Relief pitcher or closer. I'm going to go with Mariano Rivera, the best closer of all time, best relief pitcher of all time. Um, obviously for the Yankees, whatever about that. So then I'm going to go with Mike Trout in center field. Um, obviously current player on track to be maybe one of the greatest players ever. Um, it's kind of crazy that we're witnessing something like that happen right now. Uh, then in left field, I'm going to go with Hank Aaron. You already know I had to. My guy. Um, home, the true home run king. Um, then I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Max Scherzer as the current starting pitcher. Um, he's had a really great career. He's really come on kind of in the latter stages. Um, of course, he's played for the Nationals and the Dodgers, so not my favorite, but you can't deny how great he's been in his career. Uh, I thought about Clayton Kershaw. Maybe I should go with that, but his record in the playoffs isn't that great, so never mind. Um, And then I'm going to go with... I'm going to put Ken Griffey in right. Obviously, if you listened to last week's, or last episode, um, then you would have heard me ranting on and on about the Ken Griffey Jr. jersey, Um, so I got to put him in there for sure. I got to put Freddie Freeman at first base. Helped us win that championship. 
please resign with us, Freddie. You know what you need to do. And also the Braves, you know what you need to do. I know we're in a lockout right now, but once that's all figured out, blank check. All right. Blank freaking check. And then I'm going to go with, so I, if I'm counting correctly, I have a third ba- third baseman and a second baseman. Yeah. You need catcher, second base, third base, shortstop, manager. Okay, well, then I got to go with Bobby Cox as my manager. Um, Well, do I actually? We went to the playoffs a lot of times, and we only won one World Series with that um, with the amazing teams that we had. So, but I have to. It's Bobby Cox, <laughs> the all-time leader in ejections. So you already <laughs> know that's how you define a manager's quality. That's how many times he gets thrown out of the game. It's the passion. Yeah, I mean, it is. Um, so then, so I have I'm, I have a current second baseman, third baseman, or catcher. Or shortstop. Or shortstop. You know what? I know this is heavily Braves themed, but <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to go with my guy, Ozzy Albies, at second base. My man's been clutch ever since he came into the majors, um, especially considering he's so short. He's got a lot of power. And, you know, as a guy who's not the tallest myself, I respect that. Um, the fact that a guy who's that small can still be so successful in the game. Um, I thought about Altuve, but there are questions there, so I'm not going to go there. So then I have shortstop, catcher, and third base, right? Correct. Okay. Okay, catcher, I'm going to go with Yogi Berra. Not only because he was a great baseball player, and I'm pretty sure he's won the most World Series out of any player ever. Um, but also because his Yogi-isms, if you've ever heard of those, are absolutely hilarious. Um, yeah. You're like, right, if Yogi you had... Berra has won 10 rings. Yeah. That's two full hands worth. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. But yeah, if you haven't heard of yogiisms, just type it in into Google. They are very amusing. Um, so then I've got a current shortstop or third baseman. I think Yogi Bear is the one that coined it ain't over till it's over. Yeah. There are a bunch of those that are like that. Yeah. I don't feel great about this because he's still so young and we don't know what's going to happen. But I'll put Fernando Tatis Jr. at shortstop. Um, he's been amazing so far in his young career, and he's going to, um, you know, as long as he can stay healthy and that shoulder can can hold up, he's going to be one of the great ones, um, I think. So then I just have a an all time third baseman, right? Correct. I mean, there's only one man that I can really choose for this. Q crazy train, baby. It's Chipper Jones. Let's go. Now, I mean, I I know Chipper Jones is not necessarily the best person, but on the field, one of the best third basemen of all time, especially, and one of the best switch hitters of all time. I realize I didn't put Babe Ruth in here, but whatever. Overrated, am I right? Yes. Uh, so I'm on board with the Babe Ruth overrated. Um, so here's your lineup. You got starting pitcher Max Scherzer, 
relief pitcher Mariano Rivera, catcher Yogi Berra. Then you have all three of your basemen from the Braves, Freddie, Ozzy Albies, and Chipper Jones. At shortstop, you got Fernando Tatis Jr. I really like your outfield. Freaking Hank Aaron, Mike Trout, and Ken Griffey Jr. That's that's hard to beat. Yeah, I'm and happy then, with that one at least. And then manager Bobby Cox. Hey. So that's a, that's a solid squad. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I could have done better. But yeah, like I said, love the outfield and respect to putting so many Braves up there. Um, let us know how you th- feel about uh, Dave's all-time lineup or, you know, the, the mix of all-time and current players. And hey, how would you have done it differently? Let us know on social media at Mike and Dave Pod. For sure. So I'm sure that I missed a lot of great players, but it's hard. That's that's but that's what's so fun about off the top is that you just kind of have to go with whoever pops in your mind. So, yep, that wraps up that segment. And when we come back, we're going to go into our predictions and some matchups to watch out for in the New Year's Eve uh, college football semifinals and who we think is going to make it to the big game. All right, so we're going to go ahead and talk about both the Michigan-Georgia game and the Alabama-Cincinnati game. Since this episode will be coming out on Friday, both of these games are going on tonight. So even though the Alabama-Cincinnati game is first, starting at 3.30, you already know we got to talk about the Michigan-Georgia game first. I think the two of us care more about that game me being a Michigan fan, Dave, you know, or like you're going to be watching the game with Georgia fans, your girlfriend included, and we live in Georgia. And honestly, I think just nationally, this game is going to get more attention. It's a bigger game, or is expected to be, rather. So let's talk about that one first. And I just want to start with a, a mini that's disrespectful. How in the heck? Are we number two? I mean, I'll tell you how, because my head knows why. There, the, um, the ranking committee or whatever was like, oh, well, Alabama beat the number one team, and they were number three, and it was an impressive win against a really good team. Additionally, we don't want the first, uh, we don't want the first round to be a Georgia Alabama rematch. What's going to get better ratings? That or a semifinal game where it's a rematch. And and then on the other hand, you have, or on the other end, you have Michigan-Cincinnati. Like the Michigan-Cincinnati game, relatively speaking, won't get as highly, won't get as high ratings as an Alabama-Cincy game because all the Alabama fans are going to watch that anyway and non-Alabama fans just because it's Alabama. And then a Georgia-Michigan game, which is going to be a good game. And then you get the lead up to a rematch in the championship. SEC bias a little bit, but that's that's it. Otherwise, like there's no reason Michigan shouldn't be number one. We're the number two team in the nation. We go to the Big Ten championship. We play Iowa, and we beat them forty-two to three. Like I'm sorry we didn't score seventy on them. Like and you allowed you, a field goal. You, yeah. Oh, the shame, the the disgrace. The, like I'm I'm sorry. But you play who's in front of you. We beat who was in front of us handedly. And we still don't go up. 
and I guess they're thinking like, well, we can't take Georgia down to four. And even if they did and made Michigan one, it would be the same matchup. So this is just about respect. But, and this will transition into the into our conversation about the Georgia game. But if I'm being honest and a little vulnerable, Georgia worries me the most of these three other teams. So personally, I didn't want to face Georgia. I would have rather faced Alabama first just because I think that Michigan matches up a little better. I think Alabama is better, but Georgia is a bigger like matchup problem for Michigan. And the reason for that is Michigan is a very run-heavy team. Uh, our success is predicated upon the run game. And Georgia's biggest strength is their run defense. They allow like 83 yards a game. Um, they allow their opposition, I think, 58% of their average rushing yards per game, which is crazy. They cut your rushing attack almost in half statistically. Point of reference, Michigan, who has a, a fairly good run defense, that number for them is 86%. So I would have just liked our chances better against Alabama or Cincinnati because I felt I would feel like we were in a better position to do what it is that we like to do. And Georgia, I think, challenges that a little bit more. And I think it really should have been Michigan facing Cincinnati, Alabama facing Georgia. But instead we get this matchup. And I think we can beat Georgia. I'm not saying that it's impossible, but that's not who I wanted to pull first round. That's a scary team. Yeah, for sure. And what was interesting about that Alabama-Georgia game was Alabama just stopped trying to run the ball in that game. Um, they didn't need to. They just bombed it down the field to their extremely fast receivers and talented receivers, I'll say that. And they they didn't even need to run the ball. Although, they couldn't run the ball in the second half when they were trying to salt away the game and that allowed Georgia to, to kind of come back into it a little bit. So, looking at the Georgia-Michigan game, can Cade McNamara beat this Georgia defense? I mean... Everything that I've seen makes me really question that. Um, I think it's really going to come down to this Michigan defense. Um, and if Michigan has a chance of winning, it's got to be more of a low-scoring game. Um, Michigan has a few playmakers, but even in that Iowa game, they went up early because of a couple of trick plays um, and a couple of you know really long touchdowns, which of course is, is great. That's what you want. Um, but are they going to have more tricks to pull out of their bag? This time, and Georgia has had a long time to prepare for this Michigan team, but like we've seen with Michigan's running backs, you know, Haskins and Corum, like these two guys are, you know, thunder and lightning, the very classic um, cliche, I guess, for a running back room, but they've been very impressive and it's really going to come down to, I think that, you know, the running game of Michigan, can they, you know, work the clock, can Michigan slow down George's run game as well. This, this is going to be one in the trenches, I think. I completely agree. I think whoever wins at the line of scrimmage is going to win this game. couple things. So you mentioned those uh, like trick plays and everything, or the big plays that we had early against Iowa, the deep pass um, from Cade McNamara on one drive. 
And then the trick play, the pass from our third string running back, Donovan Edwards, in the next drive. I mean, shout out to Josh Gaddis, our offensive coordinator. This is going to be a, a huge moment for him because the, if there's one thing it looks like we can't do, it's come in against Georgia with a simple plan and expect that to work. I think his mind needs to be like on point for this game. We're, we need to like out tr- like outsmart Georgia because we're not going to like necessarily outpound them. The thing is like, this is by far the best run defense that we've that Michigan's faced all year. I mean, Wisconsin has a good run defense, but Georgia's a different animal. I will say though, Michigan is probably the best running team that Georgia's faced all year. So in a way it becomes a little bit of like which direction does that turn, I guess. Like in the same way like you could say the same thing about both sides, right? Oh, Georgia's run defense has been so good, therefore they'll stop Michigan as well. Or you can say Michigan's running has been so good, therefore they'll still be able to get some against Georgia. And the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Um, so that stat that I said about Georgia and what they hold their opposition to relative to their average rushing yards if that holds true against michigan we'll still rush for about 112 yards against them uh or probably closer to 120 i think we average like 223 a game or something like that which is still a good amount of rushing yards looking at michigan's defense we do have a very disruptive defense i mean our edge rushers in david ajabo and aiden hutchinson have been coming up phenomenally especially like later in the season i feel like a decent amount of our defensive statistics are like not super accurate in terms of the team we are now because we've come along really well in the last few weeks or the last few games. If they can put pressure on Stetson Bennett, I I don't know how many third, like if we can get them to third down, I don't know how many of those they'll convert. And that's because they, they run the ball, they pass it to their tight end, but they don't get a, a lot of like, big plays relatively speaking and so if we can hold them to like third and medium third and long then i feel like we'll win a lot of those battles for sure and you mentioned the tight end brock bowers freshman uh for georgia he was unbelievable in that alabama game like i he was on another level in that game and michigan has got to throw everything i mean in my mind they've got to um make stetson bennett and those receivers who really there, there's no there's there are no big names to speak of. I mean the biggest name is George Pickens, but um, he tested positive for COVID and he's been injured. Um, he's barely had been a factor all year. I think you've got to double team Bowers over the middle and just make Stetson Bennett and those unproven receivers beat you on the outside. I mean especially with the you know the pressure of Hutchinson and Ojabo coming off of the edges. Ben is not going to have as much time to throw. Georgia does have a good offensive line, sure, but I think it's a better run-blocking offensive line than pass-blocking offensive line. And we saw what Alabama did to Stetson Bennett. They, Nick Saban masterclass in terms of throwing different coverages at Stetson Bennett, doing hybrid coverages as well. You know, some you know one side of the field is man, some is zone. And Stetson Bennett just looked overmatched. You know, he threw a couple of big picks that pretty much meant that Georgia couldn't get back into the game. 
has Michigan's defense learned anything from Nick Saban? Can they apply some of those same concepts um, in this game against Stetson Bennett? And can Bennett learn from his mistakes as well? He's had a lot of time to study and prepare, but it's not like he's, I mean, he or McNamara are the, you know, the big stories in this game. Like we said, it's going to be in the trenches, um, the running backs and the defenses that I think is going to determine this one. And it's going to be mano y mano. You know, Georgia was the best team all year. Then they got spanked by Alabama. Michigan probably feels a little disrespected, like you were talking about, only being number two instead of being number one. And they've got a point to prove. So I think both of these teams really do. So I think this is going to be a really interesting matchup. I think it's going to be really interesting for sure. And I don't think it's going to be a, like, I think it's going to be a close game no matter what. I don't think it's going to be a high scoring game on either end. I'm expecting something like 28, 24, somewhere in that area. Um, This is going to be a very physical game. Uh, this, we might see a fight erupt. It's going to be a lot of pounding on the inside. And the first, like, four drives, I think, um, like, first two offensive sequences for both are going to tell you a lot about how the rest of the game will play out because that's going to tell you how effectively will each team be able to run on the other. And that's really going to set the pace for the rest of the team. The thing about both these quarterbacks, like you said, is that neither of these quarterbacks are made to, like, put up a ton of points they're they're both made to like try to be efficient not mess things up and hand the ball off so if you're forcing both of these quarterbacks to be like x factors then this that's where this game is really going to get interesting because we're going to get into like into some like uncharted territory there yeah i mean georgia i don't like georgia hadn't really trailed in pretty much any game the entire year and they're just not built to come back. And realistically, Michigan isn't either. No, they're not. It's gonna it's gonna be like who can take the lead. Maybe there's a big turnover that's forced, you know, or maybe there's like a shanked punt, a big play on special teams, something like that. I think could sway the difference. And you know, a special teams or a defensive touchdown, that's gonna go a long way into determining you know who's gonna win the turnover battle and how many points can you get off of those turnovers. Because like we said, the defenses are very talented and. When it comes down to it, which quarterback can make the fewest mistakes? And both teams have playmakers on defense. Both teams have the capacity to score on special teams. I will say Michigan's defense on special teams isn't exactly elite. So if you're going to tell me that there's like a punt return for a touchdown in this game, I would bet money that it's Georgia that does it. I'll also say, though, in terms of forcing mistakes on defense, Hutchinson is now Michigan's all-time leading um, all-time leader in sacks in a season. David Ajabo is our all-time leader in forced fumbles in a season, and they're coming at you from both sides of the line. So we can force mistakes on offense or when we're on defense. But like you said, it's going to be like one or two mistakes like that that decide this game. It's not going to be a straight shootout, for sure. And one set that I wanted to bring up, which I thought was very interesting. So there were 14 college football playoff semifinals or semifinal games so far in this era. 11 of those 14 have been determined by double digits. So there haven't actually been that many close games in these semifinal matchups um, over the course of the, you know the college football playoff. And I know the numbers kind of speak against it, but this has all the makings of a grinded out like you know, maybe one on the last drive type of a game 
I'm really excited to watch. I think it's going to be um, a hell of a game for sure. I'm super excited for it. Um, I think. Really? <laughs> yeah, it'll definitely determine, like, call it an omen. I think how this game plays out will definitely have an influence on how 2022 starts for me. Because <laughs> I'm either going to go into 2022, like, an hour and a high, an hour and a half removed from like the hype of going to the national championship or an hour and a half removed of the, like the agony of losing. <laughs> right. Though I will say previously you have said that anything after beating Ohio state is just icing on the cake. So you did achieve the main goal of the season or Michigan achieved your main goal of the season. Of course, when you're in the games, of course you want to see them win and it'll still be hard if even if they don't. Oh, you're you're 100% right. I mean like the way I'm seeing that is like I'll be sad to lose, but how I'll view this this season is a success no matter what happens from here on out. It's just a matter of like how much more successful will it get. For sure. So that's our Georgia Michigan preview. Now moving into this Alabama Cincinnati game, of course, if you follow college football at all, you know Alabama is the premier team in college football over the past decade. Cincinnati is the first group of five team to ever make it into the college football playoff, and they had to go unbeaten in order to do it. So in terms of storylines, I think this one could potentially be even more interesting because you've got this massive underdog in Cincinnati. I think the line is 13.5 points right now um, in favor of Alabama, of course, and it makes sense. You know, Alabama has superior players. Like I like I've said previously, they have five-star recruits getting Nick Saban water on the bench. Like <laughs> Cincinnati though has shown a lot of toughness, a lot of heart, and sure maybe they haven't blown out every single team, but they've won every single game and they have NFL caliber players at quarterback, at corner, you know, their defense is is very good. Um and Maybe this will be a better game than people think. I sure hope so because we talked about we've talked previously about the problems associated with there being a four team playoff. It's stupid. But if you have one group of five teams show up and they come in and get obliterated by Alabama, then that just adds fuel to the fire of like oh, well, in the future, we're going to be even more selective or like even more um, oppositional to the idea of a group of five team getting in because the last time it happened, look what happened to Cincinnati. They look good all year, but then they faced a big team and lost like badly. So I think it would just be good for college football altogether if Cincinnati like kept it close, especially if Cincinnati won. Because the reality is, if Cincinnati wins this game, next year there's not going to be any disrespect on Alabama. It's going to be like back to normal. Alabama is still the gold standard. Nick Saban is still that guy. And we'll just look at this year as like, well, Cincinnati balled out last year. But that'll pave the way for future group of five teams, potentially Cincinnati again, to garner more respect and say that there's like it's worth it for them to make the playoffs because... 
at the end of the day, they can actually win these games and, and provide competition. And I think just on a national scale, there are going to be a lot of people rooting for Cincinnati in the same way that like when Brady was taking the Patriots to the Super Bowl every year, every other year, if you weren't a Patriots fan, you were rooting for whoever was facing the Patriots. I think if you're not a Bama fan, then you're rooting for Cincinnati. For sure. Unless you're one of those like SEC is the best oh. people, which there are plenty of. There are, there are more than your fair share of those people. Right. And they definitely make themselves heard as well. But yeah, I, I think this is obviously this is a huge opportunity for Cincinnati. Um, and sure, like you were talking about in your many that's disrespectful segment, maybe the committee was like, all right, let's see if y'all can beat Alabama. Um, and that's a little harsh, but, and I was, we were both skeptical of this. They actually put Cincinnati in and they have an opportunity. And what have we always said about the group of five teams? You can only beat who's in front of you. And so far Cincinnati has done that. And now Alabama's in front of them. So can they beat them? Simple as that. Does it need to be stylish? No. Does it need to be by double digits? No. One point is all that that needs to separate them for Cincinnati to pull out a major win, not just for their program, but all group of five schools. And let's be honest, everywhere outside of Tuscaloosa. I mean, I'm somebody, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I like to see different teams involved. I don't like it to be the same teams every year in the college football playoff. It's boring. You know, like Clemson, for instance, Clemson not having as great of a year this year. Finally, have somebody else, you know, like Cincinnati. Michigan hasn't been in there in a while. Georgia hasn't even been there in a while. Um, so, or at least very often. So, yeah, I, this is a huge opportunity for Cincinnati. And really, I think it's going to come down to a couple of key matchups. Um, first of all, Desmond Ritter. He's had a great career at Cincinnati. Um, he's their, I believe he's their all-time leader in, you know, pretty much all of the quarterback categories. And we saw what, you know, we, we talked earlier about Nick Saban and what he was able to do to Stetson Bennett, uh, disguising coverages and just tricking Stetson Bennett into making some key mistakes. Can Desmond Ritter read the defense and show that, yes, he is an NFL caliber quarterback and um, with a receiving core that's not, you know, it's it's not, it's definitely not of the tier of Alabama's. Um, it's not bad. They've got a couple of playmakers, but um, you know, they're. I think their running back is their best skill player. Um, but yeah, can can Desmond Ritter solve this this defense that Stetson Bennett couldn't? Um, of course, they've also had a lot of opportunities to study what they did against Georgia um, in that last game. But Desmond Ritter, people have said, you know, and as far as him going into the draft, you know, at certain points, he's been like a top two quarterback going into the draft. And then at other points, he's fallen out of the top five. This is going to be huge, obviously not just for the outcome of the game, but also for Desmond Ritter as um, an NFL prospect and his career at Cincinnati. Can he put a bow on it being a senior this year um, with a huge win over Alabama? I think it's possible. Luke Fickle benefits from being able to watch film of that Georgia-Alabama game. When they were disguising coverages, like you said, that was all new to Stetson Bennett. But at least Fickle can like sh spend a ton of time in film with Desmond Ritter, uh, sh like breaking all of that down 
so that Ritter can be more prepared for that than Stetson Bennett was. We also have the cornerbacks at Cincinnati to talk about. Sauce Gardner and uh, Kobe Bryant with Kobe, C-O-B-Y. But still, that's got to be the best cornerback tandem in the country. Those are both NFL caliber players. Um, are are they both draft eligible this year? I know I Gardner is for sure. Gar- yeah. And Gardner will be a top 10 pick almost assuredly. And well, maybe top 20. Okay. Yeah. That's but, but yeah, and I, I mean, I think, I mean, talking about him, this game will determine that's kind of yeah. where he goes because he's if, facing Jamison Williams, who could also very well be a top 10 pick in this year's draft. That's yeah. That's a great point. If, uh, if Gardner gets toasted, then yeah, that, his draft stock is going to be affected by that. But Jamison Williams doesn't have a good game against him. We might see a top 10 corner out of Cincy on draft day. But Bryant is also up for that Thorpe award too. Like this is this is very much like a, a 1A, 1B and not like a, a 1 and 2. For sure. And Gardner, just going back to him for a second, listen to this stat. As the nearest defender in coverage this season, he has allowed quarterbacks to complete just eight passes on 29 targets for 60 total yards this season. So not only do they barely even throw his way, but when they do, it's like less than 33% of the time are they actually going to catch it. And that's eight passes for 60 yards. Like that's just obviously elite level production. And sure, maybe he hasn't faced the level of talent of Alabama's receivers. That's what we were just talking about. Can he match up? I mean, and Garner's also a guy who can come up and tackle as well. And of course, we know Alabama, they're going to want to use the run game effectively as well. Garner's not afraid to come in and and, and mix it up <clears throat> as well in the run game. So that's what I'm going to be looking for uh, when I'm watching that game. It's going to be how is Gardner playing against Williams or any of Alabama's other receivers? I don't know if he's going to travel with Williams or kind of how that's going to work, but that that'll be a really interesting matchup to watch. And of course, like we were talking about before, Alabama's strength is Bryce Young and their passing game and Gardner and Bryant. If they have really good games, then that could give some, I mean, that's almost necessary, I think to enable Cincinnati to have a chance to win. So like you said, Gardner hasn't faced a receiver like Williams before. He also hasn't, faced a quarterback like Bryce Young before either. And I think one on its own is tough enough to adjust to, but the combination of the two, a really good quarterback and a really good receiver, that that really adds a lot of, of difficulty to that assignment because it's not just like, can a receiver get open? Uh, can the quarterback hit him when he's open? Or what's more, like the better the quarterback is, the less separation the receiver needs from the corner. If he can fit it in a tight window, if he can lead him in the right direction, etc. So this is, this game is going to be monumental for Gardner and Bryant because it's, it's going to be like, like we've said, how are they going to, will they step up to the, to the challenge? Like, will they, will they be able to handle it? Or are they going to get, I mean, I don't think they're going to get exposed in the sense that they get like absolutely torched all game, 
but looking at big plays, will they will they allow big plays or will they be able to stifle it a little bit and make Alabama beat them in other ways? For sure, but the thing is, Alabama can. Yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, they didn't run the ball against Georgia because that wasn't what was working for them. And obviously, like we talked about, Georgia has the best run defense in the country. Cincinnati is not. Um, so maybe they come out, you know, all guns blazing like they did against Georgia, build up a lead, and then maybe they can run the ball. Um, but yeah, that's going to be an interesting matchup to watch on the outside, of course. And then, of course, the quarterbacks are, it's kind of the opposite of the Michigan-Georgia game where the quarterbacks, I think, are the X-Factors in in this Cincinnati-Alabama matchup. Just to give a number to that, yeah, Georgia is the number one uh, rushing defense in the country. Cincinnati ranks 45th, so not even close to the same kind of menace. So I would absolutely expect Alabama to come out run uh, very run-heavy, and I think Cincinnati needs to, needs to be prepared for that. Their uh, their front seven needs to be getting to that ball quickly, and in groups for that matter, because often it's not going to be one guy making solo tackles stopping Alabama. Another side about about Cincinnati, they've won twenty three of their past twenty four games dating to the end of the twenty nineteen campaign. Their only loss was actually to Georgia in the Peach Bowl last year on a fifty three yard field goal with three seconds left on the clock. So. They show they could compete with Georgia. Obviously, Georgia's been a different beast this year, but most of the player, you know, Bowers wasn't there, but most of the players that have been, that have made Georgia successful this year were on that team. So Cincinnati showed that they could hang with Georgia. Obviously, Alabama just torched Georgia in the last game, but I don't know. I mean, Cincinnati did beat Notre Dame, and Notre Dame was one of the better teams in the country this year, and probably that game is the reason why they made it into the playoff in the first place, but... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe Cincinnati. I think even if Cincinnati, you know, puts up a, a really good fight and loses by a touchdown or a few points, then that's going to prove to a lot of people that Cincinnati deserved to be there. And maybe we should give a little bit more love to the group of five teams. But if they win, then all hell might break loose. But in a good way, because sometimes things need a, a big shakeup. And heck, if uh, if Cincinnati wins this game and the selection committee can't use that game as evidence for like for excluding group of five teams in the future maybe that's the catalyst for them expanding the playoffs to more than four teams because something's got to give and that might do it if they say well Cincinnati just proved that a group of five team can get here but then that might make them question, well, what were we going to do if Oklahoma State had won that, had won their game? Because we probably would have excluded, like maybe they say we, they would have excluded Cincinnati. Well, Cincinnati proved that they deserve to be here, but they weren't going to like knock Georgia out after losing Alabama. So that's five teams that deserve to be there. So maybe that makes them push it to six. I, again, like I have the utmost respect for Nick Saban and Alabama. But I want Cincinnati to win this game, not just because it's the underdog, but because I think that it would lead to, or at least start the conversation for some much needed changes in college, in the college football playoffs and how that's structured. Well, 
according to Alabama, specifically Will Anderson, Alabama's actually the underdog in this game. So <laughs> this this mini all year seat. they've been disrespected. We we were talking before we started recording about what in the hell that could have meant. What and I think what we came to was like, is he referring to their defense being the underdog because Bryce Young on their on their offense literally won the Heisman and they're the number one team and they're thirteen and a half point favorites. In what universe is that underdog? Right. So he all year they've been disrespected, but they're number one in the country. I mean, I guess whatever works to motivate yourself, but I feel like maybe he doesn't understand how dumb that sounds. Like, I'm sorry, nobody is disrespecting Alabama. Everybody, even if Alabama was, you know, this hasn't been their best season. I think Alabama fans and their team would probably admit to that, but it's still Alabama. Like, I'm not disrespecting them at all. Like you said, I have the utmost respect for them too. And me saying that I don't want them to win this game and that I'm kind of tired of seeing them there, that's just respect because they're always there. And like I said, they're the premier team in college football. So I don't I don't know where they're getting this narrative from, um, but I guess whatever, whatever works for you. But that's going to wrap up our college football playoff matchups to look out for and just kind of our general preview of these games. Mike. Final answer, who are we going to see in the national championship? Oh, man. Um, we're going to see Alabama to our chagrin. I, like we talked about, even if Cincinnati stops their passing game, I, I think that that's going to require so much attention that they're not going to be able to effectively stop the run. I think Alabama just pounds it. I understand that all of the numbers suggest Georgia's going to beat Michigan. But if you think that I'm going to sit on this podcast in a year that Michigan beat Ohio State and say that we're going to lose to Georgia, you're wrong. Michigan's beating Georgia, and we will meet Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide in the national championship. And then? And then we're going to win it. Why not? You know what? Here's the, here's the thing. If, if we beat Georgia, then, there's no, then I don't see why we couldn't also beat Alabama. Because like I said at the beginning of this, we match up better against Alabama. So if we can overcome Georgia's run defense, then, then sure, why couldn't we beat Alabama? Strong words there from Mike. I expected you to say that. So I'm going to I'm I'm also going to say Alabama will win that game. They're just too talented, Nick Saban's too good. Um but I will say that Georgia will win that matchup against Michigan. I do think it'll be close. Georgia's run defense is too good and if Michigan has to throw it. I just don't know if they have the um the ammo to to keep up especially if Georgia comes out with a lead, but and, you know, if it is Georgia-Alabama again in the cha- national championship, who knows? Um, obviously, Alabama won round one, but Georgia saw them once already. Can they make the adjustments? Um, if I had to pick, 
I'll say Alabama again. But I really don't. I I really don't want to say that. But like I said, from a pure analysis standpoint, that the performance that they put on against Georgia really convinced me that with all that time that they had to prepare for that game, the game plan that was executed, the talent, the sheer talent that's on Alabama's roster, and Bryce Young getting hot, it's hard. It's hard to say that they aren't going to win. Yeah, I. I have to say, like, the only chance Georgia has of winning the championship is if they run into Cincinnati. If they run into Alabama, they're not they're not beating them. And that's that's if they get past Michigan in the first place. Which we, we both said that you know, all the statistics point to Georgia, but that doesn't mean it should be a blowout even if Georgia does beat Michigan. It's only one game. Anything can happen. And that's what's interesting about football and college football especially is that you never really know what's going to happen. So, all right, we're going to wrap up this segment. And when we come back, we'll be getting into the hot seat. It's time for our newest edition of the hot seat. This one, we got we got two things to talk about with the hot seat today. The first one, <laughs> this is just, this is unique. We're used to We're used to players fighting in sports. But Dave, I want you to tell us about about this fight. Yeah, so we've got defensive linemen Duran Payne and Jonathan Allen who are who play right next to each other on Washington the Washington football team's defensive line and also played with each other at the University of Alabama. So Washington's getting absolutely smoked by the Cowboys over the weekend and Payne and Allen are talking to each other on the bench. Duran Payne gets up jabs a finger into the side of Allen's head. Then Allen stands up, swatted the dude's hand away with his left hand, and took a swing with his right, connecting to the side of Deron Payne's face. They were then separated, and then went back on the field on the, on the next series and finished the game. When asked how two players who have been together for so long could end up in a situation like this, he said, You got brothers? You all fight, don't you? Shit happens. And like, sure, you get on the hot seat for punching your own teammate when you're getting absolutely torched. But I did like his response. He was like, this dude's my brother. Brothers fight all the time. Just because you've been close and like, you know, all this, been together for years, doesn't mean that you're just never going to disagree. I'm sure they were just frustrated by um, their, their performance in the game. So... Yeah, and that also comes with the territory of being professional athletes, and by that I mean like being competitors. You always want to like do better. And I know I've gotten in plenty of arguments just in terms of like, well, how could we have fixed? Like, how could we have played better? How could we have done this better? And then sometimes that can just turn into a blame game. But I think what's most like reflective of their relationship isn't that they fight but how they recover from that so you know a week later um assuming they're like good and everything that's that's what's more telling of their relationship than the fact that they like got into a little spat yeah and alan said when something happens on the field you never let it carry into the locker room things get heated we fix them we sit down as grown men and we move on i'll take full responsibility for my actions and so will pain so Everything's all good, but that was a really big game for Washington's playoff hopes. 
And as I mentioned before, uh, the Cowboys smoked them. So uh, their playoff chances are very, very slim now because of that loss. So I'm sure, you know, they were just upset about that. But uh, yeah, that's the first part of the hot seat. Mike, what do you got for the second part? Listen, man, this whole COVID thing has gotten so old. Like, we're not even going to get into, like, the politics of it. That's just not a, that's not where we want this podcast to go. This is a sports podcast. So we're going to look at how COVID has affected sports, particularly the NBA right now. So Greg Monroe, who had been out of the NBA for about three years, uh, signed with the Timberwolves, and he played in the game uh, the other day. And that's important because that broken NBA record. He is the 541st player to play in a game this season. Now, your typical NBA team has 15 roster spots. There are 30 NBA teams for a total of 450 active players at a time. So we're 91 past that, which means... Effectively speaking, we could have gone through all 450 players that started the season and then needed 91 more teams to finish that out. And that's not really because of injury for the most part, but COVID. Um, Having to take players out and have them inactive for games because of COVID protocols and everything, like having to take that necessary time off. Uh, Take the Hawks, for example, who have like 10 players inactive because of I think it's it might even be more than that now. As we were recording, like three more just got put on the list. Great. <laughs> so so what this comes down to is you have NBA teams that have to sign new guys to these like 10-day contracts just to fill out roster spots to have enough players to compete in these like regular season games because their stars couldn't play. I mean, think about this. On Christmas, like the Hawks and Knicks. First of all, both teams had a losing record, so already that wasn't about to be the the Christmas matchup. Like when they scheduled that as a Christmas game, that was a great idea. That was an excellent idea to have those two teams playing on Christmas. The rematch from the playoffs, Trey Young the villain, New York's back, um, Atlanta is coming alive, all that. Ignoring the fact that both teams had losing records, Trey Young would have been the main event of that game you know, the villain of Madison Square Garden and everything, and he couldn't even play. Like, and I'm not just saying this because it was Trey Young and I'm a Hawks fan, but like, that's the kind of thing that really like messes up regular season games. And that's just the regular season. We don't know how that, like how this is going to play into postseason. We don't know if it's going to bleed into other sports. I mean, just think about like, we we're just talking about the college football games. Um, imagine if any, of those four teams get um, get outbreaks um, and how that'll have to be handled. It's just crazy because it seemed like for for a while we were doing really well in terms of like um, in terms of being able to ma- maintain like NBA games, NFL games and everything. And then with this new variant and everything, we're we're taking players out. It's affecting teams records. I'm just ready for this to be over. We saw the bubble once. Maybe for the playoffs, they bring the bubble back again. Uh, of course, that's a few months from now, so we don't know exactly what everything will look like, but it's a real possibility, I think. I mean, it worked last time. No one 
you know, they tested every day and nobody had COVID at all in the bubble. Maybe that's what they're going to have to do because, like you said, I mean, these teams are playing each other and, like, you don't even know who's actually playing for these teams. Like, if you look at the box score, it's like, who is that? Or, I didn't realize that this guy played for this team and where are their star players? There have been a few teams that have been hit especially hard, the Hawks being one of them. And it's just kind of crazy to see the impact that this has had. Um, and, you know, like you were like you were talking about with other sports, I mean, the NFL is, hasn't had to cancel any games, but they did have to postpone a couple of games, um, or reschedule them, I should say. And there have been several notable players who have missed games because of being put in the COVID protocols. So, yeah, like you said, hopefully these college football playoff games will be fine. Um, I know, I'm sure that they're all taking immense precautions to make sure that nothing happens um, between all those teams. But there have been other bowl games that have been just straight up canceled or in teams backing out because they have so many COVID issues and they can't field enough players. So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty sad situation right now. And I guess we're putting COVID on the hot seat for just not ruining everything, but kind of putting a damper on the Christmas season and, um, you know, this kind of holiday time. It's just a little disheartening. I agree. And I think disheartening is a good word for it. I mean, it's a big deal. Uh, it is a pandemic after all. And I know this kind of thing doesn't just get, get fixed overnight, but I think in ways that go beyond sports, I mean, we're focusing on the sports thing because that's the nature of our podcast, but we're not going to pretend that it's just a sports thing. Like this affects life in so many different ways, but just to put a, a close to that, I think we're both just ready to see this all sort of dissipate. Um, and I think we'll both be thankful for the day that that, that happens. But with that being said, I think we are going to go ahead and roll into Dave's fun fact on a lighter note. All right, let's go. <laughs> so I've got a very short fun fact. I know I always say that. And then I, we, and then we, we talk. We've for been like told that minutes, before. Right. But I promise this time it is actually short. So obviously we love the NFL, right? We talk about the NFL almost every episode of this podcast. Um, I actually prefer NFL over college football. I know that's probably going to rub some people the wrong way, but that's just true. Um, however, an average professional football game lasts three hours and 12 minutes. But if you tally up the time when the ball is actually in play, the action amounts to a mere 11 minutes per game. Which kind of makes me think, yes, we are watching a bunch of people stand around for most of the time when we're watching football. But those 11 minutes are some of the more interesting minutes in pro sports. So it's kind of a give and take, but pretty interesting. I feel like when you put it that way, the uh, the full highlights that come out like the next day or whatever just seem so much more valuable because it's like, oh, those videos are like, 10 minutes long you may as well just watch that i mean that's kind of what i do a lot of the time because <laughs> uh you know usually the 
on Mondays or Sundays or whatever, I'll go through and I'll watch, you know, the highlights of all the games. And it pretty much tells me all I need to know for the most part. And like you said, they're normally like 11 minutes long. Some of them are going to be a little bit longer. Some of them are going to be a little bit shorter. But I think that's probably pretty accurate, about 11 minutes, which is just kind of crazy. But hey, we love football anyway. So all of you haters or people who don't like sports and like they just stand around and the two-minute warning isn't actually mean that there's two minutes left in the game and all this stuff. Just let us have this, okay? We enjoy sports. There's nothing wrong with it. So just let us enjoy sports. Okay, that's it. I mean, if you're saying that, you're right, but still let us have it. And I will say there is something to be said about like the switch from potential to kinetic energy. I'm getting all like physics over here, but uh-oh. Uh, oh, physics oh no. mic. <laughs> I don't think that one's going to catch on. Uh, <laughs> Probably not. But going from nothing happening to the start of the play, like that's part of what makes things so exciting and that's something that you don't get as much from the highlights, but I would just say like, you just do that for like your favorite team, right? You watch the, you watch the full game for the team you actually care about. And then you watch the highlights for everyone else. And and we are talking about like the full highlights. So it's not just like the scoring plays or anything. It'll give you like all the important plays offensively and defensively throughout the game. So it's, so I don't want you like coming away from this thing. Like, Oh, y'all don't even y'all only see the touchdowns. Like, not nah, chill out. If you listen to this podcast, hopefully you would know we know what we're talking about. Okay. <laughs> uh, but anyways, so yeah, so that's my fun fact. And that's going to wrap up this episode and this year, our first year of the Mike and Dave podcast. And I've had an absolute blast doing this. Um, you know, when we first talked about potentially doing a podcast, if you've been here from the beginning, you may know, but uh, Mike and I had a radio show back in college for all four years that we were there and we just really missed doing our show every week. Um, of course we're adults and we have a job, full-time jobs and all that now. So we just do it every other week, but we just really wanted to kind of get back into it. And we love talking sports and we figured why not just record it and share it with whoever wants to listen. So for all of you out there who um, have listened, whether it's been, I guess just this episode or, any and all of the other episodes we put out, uh, just a big thank you uh, because it's nice to know that the work that we put into it, you know, is appreciated and that people like listening to us and hopefully learn a thing or two and maybe laugh every once in a while as well. Looking back, it's kind of crazy because I remember like walking around my apartment, um, you know, on the phone with you talking about, you know, planning this out or like, hey, are we actually going to do this? We've been talking about it for a while. Um, how's our, how's the podcast going to look like planning out the segments and everything. And that was like 10, 11 months ago. I feel like we've come a long way. Like, Hey, I've bought a house in that time. Things have changed, but yeah, it's, it's been a ton of fun. I have, I'm so glad that we started to do that or, and that we've continued it along this far along. And I don't see any reason for us to stop doing it. But like you said, what makes it really great is knowing that there are people that listen. And like, like you said, hopefully everyone is enjoying this, getting something out of it, whether that's some information, some, some entertainment, whatever. 
uh, I know that I gain plenty of entertainment making these, so I hope that you gain some hearing them as well. For sure. And I guess, you know, it's not like we have a huge following or a ton of listeners or anything, but for anybody out there who has thought about potentially doing something, you know, maybe it's like a, maybe it's a side hustle. Um, not that we make any money from this, but maybe it's a, you know, it's a side hustle. Maybe it's something that you're really passionate about. Maybe you love talking about sports and you're really beginning like into fashion or, or the environment or, you know, whatever you're passionate about and you want to start a podcast or you want to go and um, start your own, you know, organization or like a, or a book club or like anything that's kind of like something that you are interested in doing. I would just urge you to go ahead and just make that happen in 2022. Um, 2021, Mike and I started this podcast, like he said, after talking about it for quite some time. And I feel like this is one of those things where we could have potentially just not gone through with it because a lot of things were happening and it's easy to talk about things, but making them a reality is 100% more difficult, but also well worth it in the end. And honestly, even if we didn't have people listening to us, I would still enjoy doing this because it's just fun. And we love sports and we love talking about sports and you know, it's great hanging out with Mike and doing this every two weeks as well. So yeah, I would just encourage anybody out there who has a passion or an idea of something that they want to do, just go for it. And I want to add to that. Uh, you said that we don't make money off this yet. Hey, like let's manifest that. But this is, this is something that came up pretty early on uh, when we started the podcast. Like what if we, what if we never do, right? What if, what if we make a hundred episodes and never like actually profit from it? And we both decided that's fine because that's not what this is about. And not to get political. Uh, I, I promise it's not going. It's not okay. like going in a certain like polarizing direction. Okay. There's this. There's definitely this like capitalist idea that's like, you know, you've probably heard this quote before. If you're good at something, don't do it for free. Um, this idea that and anything that you're good at or that you enjoy is only like its worth is derived from how profitable it is. That's stupid. If you enjoy something and you want to do it and you're passionate about it, do it. We don't do this to advance our careers. We don't do this to make money. We do this because it's fun and we like talking about sports and it's something that we're passionate about. And so like what you were saying, if there are activities that you're interested in, if there are, if there's a club or an organization that you want to start, don't worry about like, how am I going to make money off this? Worry about, are you going to enjoy it? Or maybe will you and or others benefit from it? Because that's at the end of the day, that's what really matters. 100%. So just wrap that all up, you know, thank everybody for listening and hope you stick with us for 2022 because we'll keep you know pushing out these episodes for for y'all and we're not one one last thing we're not planning on for this to get stagnant you know we we do some segments every week that we really enjoy and we you know we like talking about current events and things that are that are happening in the sports world um that are relevant but hopefully in 2022 we'll be able to we have we have some other segment ideas as well that we'll be looking forward to 
to trying out and seeing how we like them and how y'all like them. And so definitely keep an eye out for that as well. Definitely. We'll have new segments in 2022. We'll also have the return of a lot of the the old classics, like top five. Um, The hot seat will remain a staple of this podcast. So all the stuff you like and maybe some new stuff that you'll like as well. All of that coming in 2022. But for the last time in 2021, this has been Mike. And this has been Dave. And you've been listening to the Mike and Dave podcast.